My name is Maria, as Chloe said. <laughs> yeah, double lashes. Yes. So to introduce this evening, I wanted to ask you what, what is heart and how did you get involved and take it away from here? <laughs> Thanks, Chloe. Um, so heart is the name of the charity that I get the privilege of working for. Um, how did I get involved? Um, I've got two answers to this. The first one is Cheryl. Um, Cheryl, I don't know if you actually remember, but you invited me to come and see the breakfast. Um, I will explain properly what it is in a moment, but you invited me to come and see the breakfast one day and to just turn up and just come and see. Off the back of that, I ended up doing a fundraiser. Um, and then a job opportunity came up. Um, and I'm very privileged to actually have that position and to work alongside Cheryl and a whole team of other people. And what we do is we support the homeless community. My second answer, um, which isn't quite so... Uh, no, it is straightforward. My second answer is God, honestly. We, we hold every single day of the week, we hold a breakfast for the homeless community in Chichester, completely free, full fry up, it's great. Um, and that is held in St. Pancras Church Hall. When my mum was somewhere around my age, maybe a little bit younger, she was a part of a church group that went into St. Pancras Hall and eventually became Revelation Family Church. And so I feel like God has brought me full circle. And when I took my mum into my workplace, she was a bit like, I know this place. <laughs> like, I've been here before and this is really, really weird. Um, aside from the fact that obviously I'm a part of Revelation Family Church and I hadn't really pieced that together beforehand either. So it's all, God is in the middle of all of it. Um, and Cheryl, Cheryl is great. <laughs> um, so, excuse me, I have got my notes on my phone and printed. Somehow I didn't even decide on one or the other. I've ended up with both. Um, you'll have to excuse me looking like I'm just scrolling. Um, so, I, um, my job title is outreach worker, and that really tells you absolutely nothing about what I do within our charity. Um, I get the privilege of befriending people who um, maybe aren't normally befriended by the people who are really stuck into mainstream society. And that is in all sorts of different ways. Um, I get to be somewhat of a bridge for that, but it also means I get to live in their world, which kind of bizarrely is a huge privilege. And it, it is amazing. I'm gonna go into lots of different things tonight. Um, including some of my experiences and the experiences of the people that I work with. Um, but really what I want to talk to you guys about tonight um, is about loving the people who... I need to be careful how I word this, so excuse me whilst I kind of go around, beat around the bush a little bit. Loving the people who are on the outskirts of society. And the reason I don't just say that in a straightforward way is because I really have come to see through and through that people are people. And so I don't want to create further this divide in our minds of society and then the people who are on the outskirts. However, 
there is a reality where some people are born into situations um, with parents who make certain choices or who didn't have any choices or they themselves have been born into family lines that have um, lots of illnesses, mental illnesses, physical diseases and all sorts of things. Situations where they haven't been born into money or they've just um, been born into a certain section of society that doesn't gel with the rest of it. And yes, there are choices involved, but equally people are people. Um, so it's a mix. I hope that kind of gave an overview of where I'm going. I think that was probably more confusing than it needs to be, but um, I don't just want to talk about people on the outside because I'm really talking about people. But sometimes they are on the outside. So when I was... Um, preparing for coming here tonight, I started looking through the book of Matthew because I'm fully aware that throughout the whole of the New Testament, Jesus sits with and eats with and goes to the houses of people who would have been considered on the outskirts of society, whether they be tax collectors or whether they be prostitutes, whether they be people who are paralysed. Um, he would be with people who had leprosy. This is littered throughout the whole of the Gospels. You can't read Matthew, Mark, Luke or John and not come across this. I was intrigued. If I start even just in Matthew, even just in the first book, how many times am I going to come across Jesus sat with, Jesus ate with, Jesus went to the house of all of the people that I've just mentioned? I didn't get past Matthew. <laughs> it was a long, long, long list. And this is partly why I've got my paper here. And I'm not going to read any of it out, which was my intention, because it is just so long. I've got two pages, probably, one and a bit, one and a half, of listing every time it mentioned who Jesus was with. And I've literally just written it out. Um, by the way, the first person that Jesus was with in Matthew, John the Baptist, who was living in the wilderness, wearing clothes made out of camel hair and eating locusts. He doesn't sound like someone who really fit into what we would consider mainstream society. But do you want to know who the second one is that he was with? The devil. So it's looking great, right? Jesus is picking all the right people to hang around. It goes on and on and on. And I haven't done the other books. It also means that all of my quotes tonight are from Matthew, apart from one. Um, but what I did discover by the end of it, I kind of grouped into sections. Who was Jesus with? This is rough estimates, right? But roughly 2% of the time he was just on his own. And not really, because really he was praying to God, speaking to his father. 10% of the time, it was mentioned that he was with crowds of people, the crowds that followed him. And wherever he went, there was a crowd of people. That's 10%. And I actually thought that would be way higher, because it repeats itself a lot when you read the, the Gospels. The next three... Excuse my maths not adding up. The next three are roughly 30%, 30%, 30%. And those three groups of people, the way that I've grouped it, 
The first is the religious leaders, the state leaders, and the people who would have been associated with them. So this was the Pharisees, the Sadducees, it was the um, Roman officers. The second group of people, the second 30%, is the disciples and their family. Their family members are specifically mentioned. Some of the mothers and mother-in-laws are in there, which I think is quite cool. But he was with his disciples for another 30%. And the other 30%, it was the people who were sick and on the outskirts of society. A lot of it was um, physical illnesses. But regardless, these were people who, in that day and age, it wasn't like you'd just go to the hospital and your friends pray for you and you get on with life kind of fine. Um, they were people who wouldn't have been included and wouldn't have been able to be included. Um, and that's who the God of the universe... When he came into one of our human being bodies, that's who he decided to hang out with. That's mind-blowing to me. Like, I know, I, know, I know we know this stuff, right? I know I know this. I know who Jesus hung out with. But 30% of the time that it mentions who he was hanging out with, it was people that, to be quite honest, he could have got sick from. Like, he could have died from doing that, if we think with our logical minds. It, it wasn't something that made any sense at all. Especially not hanging out with the devil, I've got to say. I'm going to read a quote from Matthew, surprise, surprise. Uh, this is 21, um, verse 31 to 32. I have not prepared a PowerPoint, so... You've just got my voice, try not to fall asleep. Um, I'm actually just going to summarise this quote. This is where Jesus explains to the chief priests and the elders of the people that tax collectors and prostitutes enter the kingdom of God before them as they're more ready to accept God. They more readily accept God. The prostitutes, the tax collectors, not the religious leaders, not the people who have been teaching everyone how to connect with God, not the people who have been teaching everybody how to live right by God and, and what God's law is. No, it's the tax collectors, it's, it's the prostitutes, it's the people that nobody really wanted to hang around. This is my only quote from Luke, the rest is from Matthew, but in Luke 7... You get this scene where Jesus has gone into um, a house to have a meal with some people. And in comes this lady, a prostitute. She comes with a jar of perfume. She puts it all over his feet. Her tears fall onto his feet and she uses her hair to wipe it off of his feet. Sounds pretty bizarre. But also... I think this woman felt so much heartache to show any sign of affection, positive or negative, in that much of an extreme way. She must have been feeling so much. And it's no surprise to me that those verses then go on to Luke seven forty-seven, where it says, therefore I tell you, this is Jesus now, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. She loved much. 
but those who are forgiven little love little. I know I'm forgiven. Sometimes I feel like I'm forgiven of quite a lot, right? But some of the people that I sit down with, whether it's um, bad choices, bad circumstances, there's stuff in their life that is not good, that is not of God. And when they catch a glimpse of being forgiven, when they catch a glimpse of the goodness of God, oh my goodness, do they love a lot. (laughs) I'm going to really struggle to not cry at any point through this, so just ignore the tears that are going to come because (laughs) I really love these people. I work with them every day. I know their names. I know some of their stories. And I can't tell you how much they love. It's a lot. It is a lot. So when I read of this woman who comes in and pours her life savings in this jar of perfume all over the feet of Jesus, yeah, I kind of get that, that they love a lot. But you know the sad thing is, is that if God in some way doesn't walk into their life in a way that they see and they notice and they take hold of. They are left with a lot to be forgiven. And they don't realise how loved they are and the response that could come out of themselves towards God. Now, I'm not saying that at the breakfast we are God, right? But (laughs) we are essentially Christian charity. And we do sometimes offer to pray for these guys. And I had one of them say to me the other week, I just want you to know that when I'm in here, I see all of these guys sit around me. They say, please. And they say, thank you. And when you put a plate of food in front of them, they say, thank you. And when they say, can I have a coffee? They say, can I have a coffee, please? And the moment they walk out of these doors, they're back on their phones and they're making deals or they're meeting up with someone who's really not going to treat them right. Some of them are, many of them, are notorious for various different things for various different reasons, which I won't go into. But this guy said, when they're in here, you get the chance for just a moment in your day to feel completely normal. And they tell me how different we are at the breakfast. We're not the only homeless charity. We're not the only people who've had the bright idea of being kind to people who haven't got a lot. And we won't be the last, but we do bring Jesus into the midst of this. Jesus sat at people's tables and we try and do the same. We will sit and we will talk and we will eat with them and we will befriend people. Some of you might know um, Becca Jupp. She is a church leader just up the road. And she said something about close to 10 years ago that has stuck with me. You were saved for the world, not from the world. I grew up in a family that tried to protect me from everything, and that in itself is a wonderful and beautiful thing, apart from I am saved for the world, not from the world. And Jesus showed the same thing. That's why he spent 30% of the time, as we know it written in Matthew, hanging out with all of these people that were of the world. And actually, do you know what? Weren't even of the world. The world didn't even want them. <laughs> That's who he went for. It wasn't even just, yeah, you can come along too. 
He pointed out to the religious leaders, I'll just remind you that the, the tax collectors and the prostitutes more readily accept God and get into heaven before them. So what do we do? Well, we provide a fry up. We serve up sausages and beans and hash browns and we do it 365 days of the year. That's Christmas Day. That's all of the bank holidays. That's rainy Mondays. It's the hottest days of the year. It's all the days. We are extremely grateful St Pancras Church has given us sole rent of their church hall at the moment. So we get to be in the same place, same time, every single day. The people who come through our doors don't usually get consistency and routine. But we are one of the things in their life that they get to build into a routine. And sometimes that is literally all they've got to get out of bed in the morning. They know where to go. They know who they're going to see. They know what they're going to get. And when you're forgiven a lot, you love a lot. I can't tell you how much that can impact a person's life. Our numbers go up and down of how many people we see. But you might be surprised to know that our average is 25 people on any given morning. That equates to 700 breakfasts a month. And about nine or 10,000 in a year. That's a lot. When you look at Chichester, I was going to say with the lovely shops, half of them have now closed. With the lovely shops, the lovely streets, we're a lovely place. And we are. It's true. But people are people and we still have the homeless community in our city. It might just not be quite so visible. And whilst I might see 25 people in the morning, at any given time I'm working with probably 40. And I can remember the names off the top of my head of about 70. People who are somewhat on the outskirts of society, this is what I've come to learn, this is just one of my little nuggets, are usually in that position because the majority of us and these people who are on the outskirts of society, there's me saying I don't want to categorise people, but here we go, we don't really gel very well. There's something about this them and us thing, and I hate the them and us divide, but sometimes there is a them and us divide, and, and it's, it's a struggle to gel. I'm very different from them. I come in with colouring books and I make them make pom-poms, and some of them are quite serious ex-convicts, and you wouldn't expect them to be making a pom-pom, right? We're different. <laughs> we found a little way to bridge some of this gap. It's really not everything. But because of their choices, because of their backgrounds because of all sorts of things it's very very hard for them to gel with this mainstream society if it wasn't hard they wouldn't be where they're at I promise you but we're the bigger group of people that kind of makes sense that we would have more force to stay together to get along together we're the people who have found each other because we make sense together And they have too. They make sense to each other. 
they've experienced very similar things. But we are all people. People are people are people are people. And I have sat with people who legitimately, I think, are, or some of them I know, some of them I think, ex-murderers on the sex offenders list. Um, petty theft is a common thing. Violent crime towards each other. Still a thing, still happens. Some of them are in and out of prison. And they make pom-poms with me. And we talk about the weather, and we talk about our childhoods, and we talk about what's on TV. And we talk about whether the sausages are good today. We talk about anything because people are people. But there is this divide. And there are moments where that rears its head, shows its face. And the question I really want to pose to you today, when we're thinking about this divide of these two groups of people, when really we're not two groups of people, we're people. How much... Are you personally able and willing to forgive? That might change throughout your life. It might change depending on what day you're on, how you're feeling, what you had to eat. It might change depending on how hard your life is right now. And those are all extremely real and things to consider, for sure. But <laughs> if we are to bridge this gap, eat with the people that Jesus, Jesus ate with, and genuinely get to know and befriend the people that Jesus did when he was here. We do need to be willing to forgive. I'm going to tell you a couple of stories. I'm going to change names, because that's important to do. I'm going to try my best not to slip up and say someone's name. <clears throat> There was one guy who um, came to me just before Christmas, a couple of months before Christmas, sitting down, eating breakfast with him. Sometimes he chats to me, sometimes he doesn't, but today he did. And he very, very anxiously said to me, my drug use has got so out of control. I've tried two weeks in a row to go to NA, Narcotics Anonymous, I get to the door, I see the group of people and I just can't go in. I just can't do it. I need help. Now I said to him, I might be able to go with you. Reality check of my job, I have to be careful, right? Small young female, ex-convicts. <laughs> you have to think these things through, right? People are people. I know them, I love them deeply. I do care about them. And I have to check things out sometimes. So... I was trying in a very non-thinking way that day, I'll be honest, to explain to this chap, I would love to go with you, I do just have to check it out. I'm trying to say it in a way that doesn't say, because you might be a risk to me, because that doesn't sound very nice or very great. Whatever way it came out of my mouth, it was enough to set him off, to really upset him. Now, he was in a place where it wouldn't have taken too much, but I did fumble my words and I didn't say the right things. Conversation shut down. He wasn't very happy with me for saying that I would check with my manager and that I might have to bring someone with me. It was just all too much. And actually, I get that. Uh, he went and defaced our bathroom, uh, finished up his breakfast, and stormed out of the breakfast, 
I thought that would be it and perhaps we can patch things up the next day. He texts me explaining how bad his mental health was, how he was now feeling because of what I had said, because of my conversation with him. He was on his way to A&E because he just couldn't cope. I walked that through. I'm not going to lie, there were some emotions. <laughs> you don't care about people without getting the emotions with it. He's okay. He's still around. He's still struggling. He's still here. And the next time I saw him, I think he was really ready for no relationship. Gone. Cut off. Dead. Done. He'd behaved in a way that he realised was a bit too intense for me. Maybe said some things that he shouldn't have said. And he thought that I would be just as standoffish as he would be. And I smiled at him and I asked him how he likes his coffee. And he was a little bit shocked and a little bit confused. And then the next morning he came in and was a bit unsure and I did the same thing. And I served him his breakfast. I didn't start too much of a conversation. I don't think he wanted it at the time. Eventually things just became less awkward. We didn't really talk about it, we moved on. Christmas comes around. This Christmas, we bought for about 50 people, and some of you donated gifts and money towards this. We bought every single one of them a present that meant something to them, about their interests, their football teams, or something that had their name on it, or something that they'd mentioned to me in passing, an old interest, a job they used to have. This guy got a print of his football team's shirt, his name on the back of it, and he got some lights to go on the spokes of his bike because he loves his bike. I didn't really talk to him again about it, but I do know that he's turned up to others that I know, and he's talked about it. And he has been so... I don't even know what the word is. <laughs> speechless. He has been speechless to know that instead of being met with what he thought he was going to be met with, he was met with forgiveness moving on and trying to patch things up and restoring a relationship and that maybe isn't something that he's known before. He's now interested in faith because he knows that I go to church and that we're a Christian charity. His story goes on, it's not simple. His drug use has got worse. He's now not able to come to the breakfast. And he's facing something quite serious in this next month, which I, is, I can see is terrifying him. It's not all sorted, right? But when you're forgiven a lot, you love a lot. And little old me coming from my background and him coming from his, we found a connection point and we were no longer them and us. Forgiveness is something that usually shocks the world. Jesus did it. A lot. <laughs> it was his big thing. The world isn't always used to it. And it bridges the gap. How much are you willing to forgive? Forgive. 
in Matthew 18, verse 21 to 22, the disciples are asking God, how much should I forgive? How many times do I have to forgive? 70 times 7. Now, I don't think Jesus meant an exact number, and I don't know my times table, so I couldn't tell you what it is. Thank you. 490. Thank you, Dave. I don't think he meant 490, although that is a lot. If you had to forgive someone 490 times, I mean, I would be questioning whether I can carry on with that relationship, right? But the general gist of this is a lot. Forgive a lot. Just keep on. Keep on forgiving. And I'm going to tell you one last story. And the reason I'm telling you this story is because I want you to get a snapshot and a picture of what it is like to sit in relationships that need repair and that don't always go right and that maybe cause a bit of pain and maybe even remain uncomfortable because that is what it requires to love the people that Jesus chose to spend his time with. One of the homeless guys in our community, we found out a couple of weeks ago, very sadly, has uh, overdosed and has passed away. He's no longer with us. He was quite a big character in the community. And again, I'm going to cry. <laughs> you expect it because you kind of have to. But it does hurt. And it is supposed to when you care about people. And the way that I found out this news is that I was at the breakfast one morning and one of our other guys came up to me and said, have you heard there's been a murder? There hasn't. <laughs> he did overdose. We do have the facts. It's not the way that this guy painted it, but that is the first that I heard. And it wouldn't be impossible. Could have happened. I had to consider that that could be the case. And what I really had to consider is knowing as many in this community as I do, if that was the case, which it could have been, that very likely could have happened at the hands of somebody else that I truly care about as well. What do you do with that? What do you do when that person comes in for breakfast? Now, it's not the case, <laughs> and I'm pleased that it's not. But I have to say I had a resolve in my gut that I would serve him a cup of coffee and ask him how he likes it. Forgiveness bridges a gap. But how much are you willing to forgive? How many times can you do it? I'm going to throw in one last caveat before I draw all of this together. I'm never, in this scenario, talking about your safety or anyone's safety. Forgiveness is one thing. Maintaining a relationship in a situation where you or someone else is not safe is a whole other thing. 
And I just want to make that abundantly clear because there can be a lot of confusion in Christian teachings and church talks and other places as well that might make you feel like you have to maintain a relationship that actually is not safe. Forgiveness is separate from that. That's a whole other topic. But I do need to put that out there. But what we do at the breakfast, we do maintain within bounds of safety. I'm going to bring the emotion back down now. (laughs) It is such a journey to love people who are difficult to love. And to maintain that. To do it well. To get it right. And to keep going. All of that is really hard. (laughs) It's also really beautiful. Because when you're forgiven a lot, you love a lot. And my goodness, the good moments are so good. (laughs) We've had miracles, literal miracles, and we've had people in the homeless community pray for things and then see a miracle off the back of their own prayers. And they're praising God. (laughs) And it is amazing. It is amazing. It doesn't happen all the time, but there is good in amongst the pain as well. I want to really challenge you, and maybe I've already done that in some of the things that I've said. But we're just round the corner doing this breakfast. Literally just round the corner, like round the hornet, on your way to Sainsbury's. We're right there, like you could walk there in five minutes from here. Would you join us? Would you come and ask someone how they like their coffee? Would you come and serve someone breakfast? But the biggest thing that I really want to tag in on the end here is just to remind you of the numbers. Nine to 10,000 breakfasts in a year. Now they're pretty cheap, they're just under a pound. That's still a lot of breakfasts. I don't have that much money in my pocket to pay for it all. We function on donations, and we have got a campaign at the moment where we are asking people to start up a monthly giving for our charity. Each breakfast works out as a pound. If you want to pay for someone to eat breakfast for a week, pay £7 a month. That's one person who's got their breakfasts and this routine for a whole week every single month. Do it for two weeks. You've got 14 quid in your pocket every month. Can you spare it? Can you cut back one of your subscriptions? Or is there a payment going out that actually you forgot about? Have you got 21? Have you got 30? You could pay for someone to have breakfast every month, every day. That's a lot. They get more than just breakfast. I've got details of that. We can talk about that afterwards. I'm here. I'm not running away. I have spoken for too long, like 30 minutes. (laughs) Um, That is usually what happens when I get emotional, so hey. Um, I am really serious, though. We do need you, and we do need the funds. Legitimately, we we can't just welcome people in and go, hey, we've got no food left. (laughs) We need your help and we need people to be giving monthly so that we can work out what we've got and how we can spend it. And if you think that you can add into that in any which way you want to, please do come and talk to me. I'm going to hang around at the end. 
And if you want to come and be with us in person, how much can you forgive? Maybe a lot. Maybe not very much. That's all right. We're a whole team. (laughs) You can serve the coffee, and if it gets too much, you can go in the kitchen. We'll do it together, but we do need you. I'm going to call it there, because you've had half an hour of my voice, so you've done very well to stay awake. Um, But Lou, would you come back up, please? Can we just show our appreciation to Maria, please? I think you had everyone eating out the palm of your hand, is how I felt about that. That was really, really wonderful. Not too long, not too emotional. Spot on. Um, I don't really know how to go from there. (laughs) But I guess the thing that, as you were talking, it was making me think, the reason um, Jesus was kind of um, not very happy with the religious leaders and the Pharisees is because they didn't realise they needed to be forgiven. <laughs> they thought we were the us and everyone else was the them. And I, I think um, I can sometimes be that Pharisee of like, oh, I've, I, like, I want to be good and perfect, so I'll make sure I'm good and perfect. But actually, there is so much in my life that needs forgiveness. And when I get to engage with that, then I get to bridge the gap, like Maria was saying, not just in... Not just, not just with the homeless community, but just with people in general, people in our church, people in our family, people that we work with, people at the school gates. And so I just wonder whether um, we just take a moment just to really seek ourselves, ask God to kind of pinpoint those things that maybe um, we don't realise we need to be forgiven for. Because when we get to engage with that pain and that shame and that embarrassment and that like, oh, that horrible feeling that's when we get to engage with God's love and then be God's love. It's where we get to be for the world, not taken from the world. So is that okay if we just spend a couple of minutes in silence? If that makes you feel uncomfortable, don't worry, you won't be alone, the only person feeling uncomfortable. (laughs) But let's just ask God to pinpoint what it is that we need forgiveness for.